The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. The Supreme Court will consider overturning a nearly 40-year-old legal precedent called the Chevron Doctrine. It's given federal regulators broad power to define their authority. And it's something conservatives have been pushing to get rid of for years, saying it's empowered the administrative state. Several conservative justices have soured on the doctrine, and Justice Neil Gorsuch is one of them. He was even questioned about Chevron during his Senate confirmation hearings because he'd criticized the doctrine in an opinion, saying it allowed, quote, executive bureaucracies to swallow huge amounts of core judicial and legislative power. And I've raised some questions that arise in, in a case that I actually had to deal with and how it would impact people, real people, if agencies can change the meaning of the law back and forth every four years, depending upon the outcome of an election. I thought the judges were supposed to say what the law is. I thought that's what Justice Marshall said. And I thought the point of having judges decide the law is because you wanted someone who's neutral and independent to say what the law means. Someone who doesn't have a dog in the hunt. And next term, the justices will consider a case testing the doctrine. Joining me is an expert on the separation of powers, Harold Krent, a professor at the Chicago Kent College of Law. How will you explain just what the Chevron Doctrine is? The Chevron Doctrine sets the tone, if you will, between the reviewing court and the agency, which has promulgated a rule or conducted an adjudication to settle rights between the government and either you know, individuals or regulated businesses. And oftentimes, agencies engage in very complicated decision-making, dealing with questions about kinds of nuclear discharge, how to gauge it, questions about hearing rights for the disabled, what kind of drugs should be regulated, how do we know if it's safe. There's so many areas in which regulators have to make decisions, and Congress can't foresee all of the details. Congress, therefore, gives a wide leash to agencies or leeway to the agency to flesh out those regulations as social conditions and, indeed, as political conditions change subject to the oversight of the president. And that's the kind of standard. But the court is fighting back. The court has thought that agencies shouldn't have this power. It's okay if Congress sets the details itself, but the court doesn't want agencies to have the ability to reinterpret their own enacting statutes, to reinterpret and refashion rules as these conditions change. And therefore, they're trying to straitjacket administrative agency power. And the doctrine has sort of a two-step approach? The Chevron doctrine is a two-step doctrine, which first asks if Congress has clearly specified what the agency should do. And if it does, then the court will just either say 
agency acted appropriately or not. But if there is ambiguity, and there's almost always ambiguity, then the doctrine suggests that the court will agree to any kind of reasonable interpretation of the statutory language that the agency has reached. And so they were giving deference, in other words, to agencies because agencies are more expert. They have more experience in the areas of pollution, of drug safety, of labor management relations, and therefore they should be the ones to decide the issue as long as they're acting reasonably. That's the sort of structure of Chevron. But the court, I think, has battled back because it thinks that it's not right for agencies to share with the court the power to interpret congressional language. The court thinks it's their own prerogative to interpret what Congress says, and therefore to share it with agencies by giving this leeway to reasonable agency interpretation of statutory language would be to limit their own power. So in some ways, Chevron is an ideological war that the court is waging in order to affirm its own superiority in terms of statutory interpretation. The court has chipped away at Chevron, but is this the first direct challenge to it? So the court has not upheld a case on the basis of the Chevron doctrine for over six years. Lower courts, however, have continuously applied Chevron. But the court has occasionally asked whether the Chevron doctrine should be not just limited, which it has done, but whether it should be overruled in its entirety. And this case may or may not be the right vehicle. In this case, there's a very narrow question, has to do with a herring fishing industry, about whether the industry itself has to pay for agency observers. And agency observers are unquestionably permitted under the statutory scheme to make sure that the fishing boats conserve resources, don't overfish, don't take too small fish, etc. So the question is, do they have to pay for it? Maybe it's implicit in the statute, but it's not explicit. And the court has taken two questions on the case. One is whether the Chevron doctrine should be overruled in its entirety. And the second is whether the fact that there is no explicit power given by Congress to the agency to make the private fishing industry pay for observers, whether the fact that there's congressional silence should be a reason to deprive the agency of the power to determine that the fishing industry should pay for these observers. So on the second question, the court would be just narrowing Chevron even more. The idea would be agency can still interpret what the statute says, but if the statute doesn't give a power explicitly, then Chevron would not be applied. And so that would be another way to whittle down the number of of circumstances in which agency interpretations would be deferred to. There isn't a split in the circuits, is there? This case is all about the Supreme Court. And again, I think the challenge of Chevron, I don't think it makes that big of a difference in terms of number of cases the agencies win or lose, but it's a thorn in the court side because the court thinks that they have the superiority in terms of interpreting statutes. And to publicly announce that agencies should have a role in interpreting language of Congress as well as they do is sort of an insult to the court. So the court, I think, wants to wipe this insult away. But what I think is interesting is to think about what happened before Chevron. And that's something that often commentators aren't really discussing, because before Chevron, what courts would do would say, you know, this is a kind of complicated agency issue. Agencies have more expertise than we do. We'll defer to agency. And there was this sort of 
patchwork of deference that grew up in Monk's course that say, well, in this case, we're not sure, it's kind of murky, there's a lot of expertise involved, we'll defer to the agency. And what Chevron did was to try to take this kind of scheme of uncertain deference and try to give it a uniform two-step package, which would then unify and systematize deference across the country. So even if Chevron is wiped out, I think over time, courts would say, you know, I don't really know about nuclear discharge. Um, What the agency did here, it's technical, it seems pretty minor, let's defer to the agency. Because who knows what Congress really intended, and the agency is familiar with it, the agency is applying the statute, it has the expertise, it knows what Congress meant by that vague language better than we do. So I think that over time, even if the court scuttles Chevron, it's not going to make a dramatic difference. In the other side of the coin, if the court really cares about an issue, and courts you know, do about the vaccine mandate, for instance, or about carbon discharge, the court's going to come up with a decision as to what the statute means, irrespective of whether Chevron applies or not. And we've seen many instances of that. So even Chevron gives a court enough leeway to step in and say that an agency interpretation is not reasonable or the congressional language was clear enough um, to make sure that they end up with the result that they like. So my own view is that in cases that courts aren't wrapped up in politically or ideologically, they'll defer to agencies. And in cases where they do care ideologically or politically, then they'll find some kind of way to rule for against the agency, depending upon their own leanings and their own political views. So if they get rid of Chevron, it'll make a little bit of a difference, but I don't think it'll be as dramatic as some people think. Do you think that they intend to get rid of Chevron because the justices didn't have to take this case? There's no split in the circuits. The administration said the fishery dispute has no practical importance now because the monitoring program is on hold. And the court took an unusually long time to decide how to handle the case. It scheduled it for potential discussion at five private conferences. This case is not that important. It has to do with just the herring fishing industry, and it has to do with whether the industry has to pay for monitors. Congress clearly said that monitors are permitted, and that the agency has the power to impose the monitoring system to conserve fishing resources. So that's not even a question. So this is not like a major questions case. This is a minor regulatory issue about who pays. And the only reason the court took this case is because they wanted some kind of context in which they could decide, again, whether to scuttle Chevron, to inter it completely, or whether to limit it even more than it has been in the prior 10 years. Indeed, the fact that Justice Jackson is recused from the case is even more sort of fishy, so to speak, um, because they could have easily taken a case in which all nine justices could have participated. Presidents of both parties have leaned on the Chevron doctrine, although Democratic administrations perhaps relied more heavily, using it to justify mandates on energy, the environment, and the workplace. So I'd like you to explain why conservatives, the critics of big government or the administrative state or executive power, think they're all the same almost, have had their eyes on destroying Chevron. Well, to take a step back, Chevron grew in the midst of the Reagan administration, and the Reagan administration was engaging in 
somewhat of a radical deregulation at the time. And the Republicans supported Chevron because they supported the regulatory regime that the Reagan administration was forwarding. And it was only during the Obama administration when Republicans then began to attack Chevron because they saw that Chevron helped the Obama's administration's effort in Obamacare, effort in reforming the welfare system, that they thought that having stricter judicial controls on the administration would be more beneficial to their political interests. So Chevron's really neutral. It can help administrations, whether they're Republican or Democratic. It just suggests a reality of our political system, which is Congress doesn't like to deal with details. There's a lot of gridlock in Congress, but even aside from the gridlock, Congress looks at some issues, but it prefers only to look at some issues. And it doesn't want to get into details of vaccines, the details of even the herring industry, not to mention pollution, labor management relations, and so much more. And so for years, Congress has decided that it's better to have agencies take the first crack at many of those important issues. And it sits back and only gets involved if they are convinced that the agencies have messed it up. That's been a reality of our governance now for generations. And it is true that back in you know the 1790s, there were very few agencies. There were some. And so Congress did grapple with more details, more specifically. And that was the main way we had rules. But over time, as life has become so much more complicated and our society is, has grown so much, that Congress has been more content to issue some major rules, but allow the agencies to flesh them out and to adjust and adapt as conditions change. So I don't think Chevron itself is ideological, but it does do is it reflects the fact that Congress has willingly given up the reins of its own authority to the agencies. And someone who wants to turn back the clock to 1789 and to someone who doesn't believe that agencies have any kind of special role in interpreting what Congress intended, that's an assault. And so I think what the court is upset about in Chevron isn't so much the view that agencies are liberal. It's just that they want a different kind of society. And Chevron is a reflection of the fact that we have a society that's changed and where agencies of both Republican and Democratic administrations wield a great deal of power by necessity and also because Congress simply hasn't tackled all of those complex issues dealing with climate change, dealing with vaccines, dealing with labor management policy, and so much more. If they do away with Chevron, that's going to put more onus on Congress to directly tackle policy issues. And Congress Congress has not been so adept in the last years at doing that. Absolutely correct. I think that doing away with Chevron and limiting deference to agencies pushes the ball back in Congress's lap. And the question is, what will Congress do with it? We have seen Congress over the years be more and more willing to give up power to agencies because they're partisan, because they're more involved in re-election campaigns, whatever the issue may be. And I am not convinced that doing away with Chevron will effectively prod Congress to be more responsible and to actually do more in terms of legislating. If you're optimistic, maybe that's what the court is trying to get Congress to do. And if so, it's, it's, it's a noble effort, but I'm not sure it's a winning effort. And the predicament that our country may face is if agencies have much less authority and Congress doesn't pick up the slack 
and become more active, we may end up in a worse situation than we are today. We'd rather have agency action supervised by the chief executive and reflecting the chief executive's policy preferences than we'd rather have no kind of guidance whatsoever. If Congress doesn't step in, does that mean the courts will have more power without Chevron? Well, well clearly in, in the short run, the move to dump Chevron gives more power to the courts because courts will not be sharing the authority to interpret statutes with agencies. They will do it on their own. And of course, if Congress doesn't change the terms of these broad, open statutes that they've already delegated to agencies such as the Environmental Protection Agency, the Department of Labor, and so much more, then it's up to courts to step in to say whether these agencies have read these broad statutes correctly or not. So in the short run, clearly, the courts would get more power. The question is, in the long run, whether Congress would take up the dialogue and legislate more and legislate more carefully with specific language which would then take away power from the courts because it would then be Congress which would be making all of those hard decisions about what kind of anti-pollution measures are appropriate, what kind of fishing conservation issues are appropriate, as in this particular herring controversy, you know, what kind of insecticides can be used in different kind of programs, and what kind of reimbursements can be used under Obamacare. Congress hasn't wanted to insert those kind of details in legislation, and it's hard to do that. And so Congress has chosen not to. But perhaps if the court decides to knock down Chevron, there will be at least a little more incentive for Congress to do its job and legislate more and legislate more carefully. Just to clarify, the court could decide this case without knocking out Chevron. One of the issues that the court said that it will consider is whether in the face of congressional silence, can agency power ever be implied? And as applied to this case, Congress clearly said that the agency has the power to install monitors on ships to protect against overfishing. But it didn't say clearly whether the agency had the power to require the herring industry to pay for the observers themselves. So they could hold that you can never imply a duty or a power from silence. And this power would be whether or not the agency can require the private industry to pay for the observers. So if the court limits its holding to that ground, it would just be another limitation of when Chevron could be applied. Chevron could still be applied to questions, what is a vessel? mean, for instance? What does herring mean? Those kinds of terms could still be subject to Chevron deference, but you could never imply a power that wasn't explicitly given in the statute. And we'll have to wait until next term to find out. Thanks so much, Hal. That's Professor Harold Krent of the Chicago-Kent College of Law. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.